This is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Ruben Yap, who is a project steward for Zcoin. Uh, Zcoin is a privacy-centered digital asset. Uh, we've had a few of those on, like Beam and Monero, and Ruben gives us a great background on how Zcoin is a little bit different. There's a beautiful analogy uses of walking on a beach and sand and how some of the other ones kind of mix up the sand so it's a little bit hidden and how Zcoin difference is that. And so this is a great conversation to learn about some of the nuances of Zcoin, but we had a really long conversation about privacy as it relates to things relating to COVID-19. As we've seen, uh, nation states like China have been using uh, contact tracking, have been using phones to understand where hotspots are. And so we had a really long conversation about privacy as it relates to this new global pandemic. And uh, I love some of the ideas that Ruben uh, was discussing about how potentially we could be using or offsetting some of our privacy concerns to kind of eliminate some of the risks here. Uh, I redacted back to the Patriot Act back around 9-11, where uh, obviously the federal government, the security forces that we have were listening in uh, for potential terrorist cells and uh, how that was not a constant um, but we may have to think about things like that, obviously, to root out the the virus here. Um, and so we also talked about some of the ways that it is also affecting him in his homeland in Malaysia. His wife, bless her, is a uh, is someone on the front lines and uh, working in a hospital with COVID patients, and how that is affecting him and his family. Beautiful conversation. And again, anyone who knows people who are working on the front lines, doctors and nurses and others out there, they are our heroes. And so we need to celebrate them. And thankfully, I was able to do that a little bit on the show today. We also talked a little bit more about Zcoin as some of the new things that they're working on, a protocol called Atlantis. Um, so this is a great conversation, all encompassing, and I really enjoyed it. You will too. Remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice, and also the opinions expressed here are not those representative of ARCA. And so remember, uh, we'll be talking to you soon, and have a great one. And on the flip side, you're going to hear a great conversation with Ruben Yap, Project Steward at Zcoin. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Ruben Yap, who is the project steward for Zcoin. Ruben, how are you? Hey, doing great. Thanks, David, for having me on. Well, thank you for joining us. I believe Ruben is in Malaysia, which is amazing. We love having a global reach on Base Layer and hearing from people all around the world that are doing things amazing in digital assets. So, Ruben, before we get too far into Zcoin and to learning all the things that we're going to talk about today as it relates to privacy, as it relates to COVID, uh, as it relates to all the things that are happening in this world, we like to also hear a little bit about your past, uh, learn a little bit about you before you came to Zcoin. Uh, how did it come about? What were you doing before? Sure. So uh, I, I was a lawyer for about 10 years. Uh, I did a lot of well, wide variety of work. I, I think in the, my last few years of my legal career, I did a lot of work for the government in setting up laws 
So that was quite interesting. Um, and But somehow in between, in 2007, I also started up a VPN company. And it was actually kind of born from um, my country's increasing uh online censorship so you know it started with pornography then it started with then you move on to political speech so it's always uh, this erosion of privacy always happens in in stages as well and so when i started my vpn company in 2007 um yeah and i came across bitcoin about 2012 because people were telling me you run a privacy service why aren't you accepting, uh, why do I need to pay using PayPal and you have all my details? Can I pay using Bitcoin? And that's how I went down through the whole cryptocurrency rabbit hole. But yeah, so uh, although it was kind of a weird, you know, like from law to now like being a part of a privacy cryptocurrency project, uh, I think one of the things that really kind of highlighted the need for privacy was, you know, the increasing amount of censorship in my country. And more importantly, I was also being cut off from being uh, from accepting credit card payments because VPNs then were classified as uh, as a high risk business, which is ridiculous. Now it's a lot more accepted, but back then the logic was if you are encrypting your traffic, you have something to hide, and that's kind of like the the the, the war that we're fighting now with with financial privacy as well. Right. So. Lots there to unpack, but I want people to know what Zcoin is first and foremost. So if you could imagine you were talking to someone who might not be as well versed in digital assets and crypto as you, or I or others, you know, someone who is starting to take a look at this, um, this whole world. So how would you describe Zcoin if you could? So, you know, Zcoin is a privacy first digital currency. I mean, of course we have digital currencies, you know, a lot of our bank accounts and bank transactions are digital in, in, in many ways. But the idea is that, you know, there's always a, a central body, a central authority that, you know, records all the transactions and makes sure, uh, you know, keeps the balances and sees who is transferring to who. Um, and the problem with digital currency is that as long as there's a record of the transaction going from here to there, you are trusting operations to keep your data private. And we know for a very you know, good fact, like you know, Facebook or even like financial institutions, there's been countless data breaches and leaks, or even from governmental bodies as well. So I guess the idea that you know, we have to trust our privacy to, to, to uh, corporations, governments, and, and financial institutions may not be the, the best way to kind of deal with it. And I guess the idea is that, you know, the whole concept of cryptocurrency is to have a cryptocurrency that is uncensorable and that's free from control. And I would argue that, you know, to, be, to have something to be uncensorable, you need to have privacy because otherwise I can identify you know, these funds, I'm going to freeze that, you know, because you're not doing the thing that I, I approve of. And then it kind of leads to, to censorship. So Zcoin is trying to solve all of that by providing actually a digital currency similar to Bitcoin, except that we have a lot of privacy on top of it. Because Bitcoin wasn't, I guess, you know, it had some privacy considerations, but it never really took the the concept to its like fullest potential. So I guess here we are, you know, trying to make sure that we are building a cryptocurrency that's independent but private at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
we didn't necessarily prepare for this, but for those, I want to talk about a host of things as it relates to kind of the macro world, it relates to privacy, as it relates to COVID-19. Um, but as it relates to Zcoin and some of the technological underpinnings, so we've had Beam, we've had the folks from Starkware on, we've had conversations about zero-knowledge proofs, we've had conversations with folks from Monero. Um, what specifically kind of what uh, technique are you using for privacy so people can understand the differentials? Right. So um, we use a special type of zero-knowledge proof called one out of many proofs. Uh, this is different than what Zcash uses called ZK Snarks or anything. But I guess the basic idea of what our privacy protocol is doing is allowing people to destroy their coins. That means they kind of like stop existing. And then at any time of the future to redeem brand new ones, like brand new coins, we have no previous transaction history. And I think a very good way to kind of uh, illustrate this, especially in comparison to other privacy models such as like Monero or like Beam or, or like Mimblewimble type of transactions, is that, you know, you mentioned like kind of footprints uh, on the sand on the beach, right? And you, you're trying to obscure your footprints. Uh, the way other kind of privacy protocols that do not use zero knowledge proofs, uh, the way that they do it is kind of like putting decoys around it. I mean, it's like placing a lot of, of footprints here and there to kind of obscure your footprint. But the footprint is still there. It's just kind of like hidden in a, a crowd of other footprints. While the way we approach it, you know, by giving you brand new coins with no previous transaction history, it's almost like the wave washes it all over and you have a clean slate. So that's kind of like uh, the basic idea of our privacy protocol where we are wiping the history of the, the coin rather than just hiding uh, you know, the, your transaction in a bunch of other transactions. Got it. Interesting. So in today's time, obviously we're dealing with a global pandemic. Um, how is contact tracing? So We've seen uh, in China, we've seen in other parts of Singapore and uh, other parts in Japan uh, that they've used contact tracing. So surveillance of those under quarantine. Um, how do we talk about privacy as it relates to what's happened with the global pandemic? How do these two go hand in hand? Or are there you know, a problem there? Is there a imbalance there? Can we have privacy in a time of a global pandemic? you know, as it relates to what's happening today? Sure, I think that's a really good uh, question because um, a lot of people think privacy is binary. You either have it or you don't. Uh, certain kinds of data are binary, like for example, location data. Like for example, they were in certain cases, I think China, they started like placing uh, some sort of tags or even like things inside your phone to actually track people's movement. And the thing is that you cannot anonymize location data because even if you take away the name of it, if I see this person's like staying in a particular address, I have a very good guess of who that is. So certain types of data is very hard to, to anonymize, you know, like that means you can't strip off and say, oh yeah, this data is just a bunch of numbers. But there are other types of data and I, I believe that, you know, it has to be a proportionate approach. We cannot approach it to say that Oh yes, full privacy, you know, people are not going to tell them where they've been. They cannot tell like what, what's going on. And that of course would frustrate efforts to, to lock down or to, to control uh, the COVID. But it also has to be proportional. So like the employer, for example, if, I, if I'm an employer, uh, you know, I can 
ask us, like, you know, have you been to any of these countries rather than ask you, tell me, you know, all your holiday plans and stuff like that. And similarly, I think in the terms from, from a government perspective, uh, you know, you should not be like installing stuff that you can't uninstall, like, or using stuff like without people's permission, like for example, like tracking, tracking movement using your cell phone data. I think that's like really, um, you know, really intrusive. But on the other hand, if you can tell them, ask them like when they're coming into the country, you know, look at your passport, where have you been, you know, and ask this type of questions, then it's like more proportionate. I don't think you can say that you don't give any data whatsoever, but is the data, first of all, you know, how is it going to be retained? You know, is it going to be retained way after this pandemic? Mm-hmm. Secondly, you know, is it proportionate? That means is the amount of data just enough to, to give, give me a response? And that also has to be weighed in with the, the privacy, um, like, what do you call it? Basically, the individual rights of the user as well. So I don't think that's a, like a catch-all, like really easy way to deal with it. But it's just a, it should be the principle-based approach. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Back uh, around 2001, uh, during 9-11, we here in the United States had used the Patriot Act, uh, which basically started to listen in on phone calls, listening for potential terrorist cells. And people were, I would say that there were people who were definitely up in arms about it, but I think the general consensus was that it was for the greater good to root out any potential dangers here in the United States. And so I think this is just an interesting kind of narrative and conversation that's going to be ongoing. I agree with you. I think there's a time and point in place uh, where we have to kind of say, okay, well, for the greater good for our society as a whole, where we might have to say, okay, we understand that we are all allowed. It is our, you know, our liberties. It is our, you know, human nature. It is, you know, our will to have these liberties and these privacies. Uh, but at times like this, you know, it might have to be, okay, okay, well, let's maybe turn that back a little bit, you know, to ensure that we can remove this danger, this obstacle, this global pandemic. And so I don't think we're going to have the answer today, but I like the approach that you're taking is that it doesn't have to be just an all all or one. It doesn't have to be black or white. There can be gray and we can say, you know, from a time point, okay, there was a danger and we obviously, you know, kind of gave away some of our liberties uh, to ensure that that danger was mitigated. And now that that danger is mitigated, you know, we can then turn it back. So, you know, I, I think there is, you know, there is a balance there. And uh, yeah, there's actually like uh, something that's ongoing right now that's actually really, uh, really relevant to this thing. And it shows uh, how. Uh, good intentions or rather a bad intention disguised as a good intention uh, like on the idea of proportionality, right? So I guess, I don't know if you heard of the Earn It Act uh, of 2020, which is, I think, a proposed bill, uh, which is short for Eliminating Abuse and Rampant Neglect of Interactive Technologies of 2020. And the whole idea of it was, you know, well, the, 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 the published idea of it was to fight uh, online child sexual exploitation prevention. Uh, and the thing is that, you know, of course, everyone is against it. You know, everyone would agree to say, yeah, this uh, child expo- child sexual exploitation is bad and stuff like that. But it is 
the, the, the measures that they actually introduce are very, very far-reaching. So there's something called Section 230 uh, of the, I think, uh, Communication Decency Act. And what that allows is that as an online platform, the, I don't have to be so concerned uh, as to what my users post on it. So if someone like, you know, say something bad on my platform, the person that is responsible is the user, not the platform itself, right? And that has kind of been like, you know, protected a lot of like places like Facebook, always how can you, how can as an online platform, can you manage everything else, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but having this Earnit Act would actually mean that you will only get this protection if you abide by these like ex established guidelines and practices hmm. so and these practices are set by by people who are very anti-encryption so what if they just say like okay you know you have to store chat logs of everybody you have to give it to us when we request it then you only get this section 230 protection so it's actually an attack on encryption and attack on privacy because you know privacy uh, encryption has always been kind of like couched in in negative terms but it's actually, you know, an essential element to, to online privacy and to give, uh, you know, uh, entity almost effectively a backdoor into it is, I think, really ripe for abuse. So I think that's a really good exa uh, example of like a really, maybe a good intention, but a really, really bad and disproportionate way of, of, uh, of uh, dealing with it. Yeah. Um. So I want to pivot into how the virus is actually affecting things and digital assets. So here in the United States, and I'd like to hear obviously what's happening over there, but here in the United States, uh, we have a new meme, you know, the printer goes burr. And so, you know, we're seeing obviously a $2 trillion package that was just passed yesterday, uh, last week. We are now hearing that another potentially $800 billion to another trillion dollars is being thought about. Um, as a, another stimulus package, we have $1 trillion going to the repo markets on a daily basis right now to ensure liquidity. And so all of this, and then in coupled with it, with the package that was just, uh, approved last week, there is apparently $1,200 that is going to U.S. citizens that meet a threshold, obviously making a certain uh, amount of money. Uh, I think it's below seventy dollars or $75,000 they will get $1,200 and then $500 for each child. There is a big problem, though, uh, because those that do not have ACH already linked to the Federal Reserve and to the federal government um, will have to get a check, and that check obviously can take quite some time. And so us in the digital asset world understand that you can do things like airdrops. You can just basically get people assets just by sending them vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the connections that we have. And so there's this idea of the digital dollar. So how is this whole thing manifesting itself, do you think, as relates to digital assets? Mm, so many people see like the digital dollar as a, as a cryptocurrency. I, I would argue it's a bit different. I mean, it depends how you define cryptocurrency. But the idea of digital is just an extension of fiat. I think the only difference is that, you know, basically it means that uh, a user does not really have to have a bank account. They can receive it directly as well. But of course, you know, that wallet or whatnot would still need to be tied to identity and things like that. 
I think, uh, you know, a lot of people see this digital dollar as very bullish for blockchain or cryptocurrencies. I actually don't think so. It may actually, is it, it is actually just a way to continue making US dollar the, the dominant world currency. And, and cryptocurrency was meant to kind of solve the whole problem of, of you know, printer goes brr, right? And, and just allowing uh, people to hold it directly, I don't think solves any of the issues that cryptocurrency was, was able to, uh, was supposed to solve. And additionally, you know, there's huge privacy concerns. If, if now the Federal Reserve can now see directly how someone's spending it and whatnot, I think there's also privacy risks uh, that, that need to be considered. Now, what is really interesting is just maybe in, in February, actually, a power, the, the Fed chairman actually was actually asked in Congress to say, you know, what do you think of, uh, what, you know, uh, central bank uh, digital asset, uh, CBT, uh, you know, basically CBDCs, central bank digital currency. And he was saying that, you know, Yes, you know, we know that China is doing it. Yes, Facebook, Libra has also kind of made us aware to it. But there are so many concerns that we need to think about. Like, for example, the, the privacy aspect, the security aspect, uh, whether it will cause bank runs, uh, you know, because now if, if I feel that I don't really trust my bank, I can suddenly take all that money in the bank and just have the Federal Reserve directly hold it for me. And there's so many of these things that need to be need to be considered, and they actually said that we need to research this more. And I think it's a really bad idea to say just because of COVID, just because I want to do an airdrop, I'm just going to rush this through. Because again, you know, COVID hopefully is uh, you know a one-time event, or maybe like you know something that we we maybe learn to live with. But the idea is that you need to. The things that once you start introducing the digital dollar, it's very hard to go back. It's something that would have ramifications that go so far down the line, um, even even after COVID goes away, right? And it also makes you wonder: okay, does this mean that this is the end of physical cash, or what does that mean for for privacy as well? So uh, I do think that you know, it, although it's an interesting concept. Uh, and the whole idea of, of enabling the unbanked, but there are many, many other factors that really need to be considered before going full blown uh, into like the digital dot. Um, so as we wanted to also talk, you know, we talked about obviously how the virus is affecting economics and everything that's happening as it relates to digital assets. I know it's also affecting people very personally, obviously. And so I've heard that your wife is a doctor. Thank you for her service. I know we say things like thank you for your service to our people who are our military. Um, but I think in today's day and age, you know, our doctors and our nurses are our front line. They are our soldiers on the field right now, and we should be blessed by their service. And uh, I thank you, obviously, for her service. So, you know, talk to us a little bit how it is there. Um, I've heard uh, that 
you've had to close your Aikido dojo and that you've been self-quarantined for quite some time too. I also, you know, started following this thing back in early January um, and tried to take proper precautions here, uh, working from home and social distancing. Um, I bought N99 masks and my wife thought I was insane, but that's okay. I love her. Um, and now she's very happy that we have them. Um, and so how has your life changed as it relates to this? Um, well, first of all, I have to say that, you know, compared to many people, I've had it really good. Uh, like, you know, I, I can still work from home, you know, I have a place to go to. And, and of course, you know, many other people who are especially doing gig jobs are, are just totally wrecked from this. So, you know, whatever my complaints now are, are probably a lot less than what other people are expressing. And I, I understand that. But, you know, on terms of like, how it's changed my life? Well, first of all, I had to move out from my uh, marital home uh, because, um, well, because, you know, when my, my wife returns from work, I, you know, want her to make sure that she has a nice place to stay at. And because that we're not supposed to be in contact because she's actually directly, uh, you know, dealing with COVID patients and she just doesn't want to risk it. So we have to have live apart. And right now, you know, we don't know how long the situation has been because on top of that, it may be months before I see my, my wife. So that kind of sucks. Uh, I've also kind of been isolated from my dad as well because I was in previous contact with my wife and I can't be with... Uh, can't be with my dad because he's like 70 plus years old. So he's, he's also at risk as well. Um, on, on terms of like, uh, you know, in work, I, I think nothing much has changed. You know, I'm still working from home and, and things like that. Um, but I think the loneliness is, is, is quite something because you know, the only people that I see face to face are my delivery guys that deliver my food. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but, you know, Zoom calls help. Uh, you know, there's some online communities. I, you know, I game together with my friends and, and that's nice. But yeah, you know, I also run some Airbnbs that had to be shut down as well. But as a whole, I think, you know, I, I still have it quite good. Uh, just just the, the, you know, the time apart with my wife and my wife working like nuts. Like yeah. I hear the, the, the stories that she's facing down there is crazy. Like she finished a 24 hour shift and she still can't go to sleep. She had to continue working. Like she started at eight. She was supposed to end at 8 a.m. But then she worked until 3 p.m. And, you know, then she has to like, you know, go into uh, apparently now she can't stay in a home. She has to stay in, in the hospital premises as well. Mm -hmm. So that really sucks. Um, and now they are actually like building because we don't have enough PPEs. So people are like uh, building their own PPE. So on, on the bright side, many people, are the local populace have been, you know, showing the support for the, for the frontliners and, you know, there, there was this sign maker who, you know, he, he just used to make like plastic signs and stuff like that. And then he realized that the hospital, he could make this intubation, intubation perspect boxes. And he was like so happy. He made like 20, 30 of them for the hospital. And he was so happy. And I think one of the things that he said uh, kind of like really made my wife really touch was like saying, you know, I'm so happy that a blue collar worker like me can contribute to this fight uh, to the COVID. So I think that's really touching people are delivering food uh, to the, the hospital as mm -hmm. well to, to actually, you know, keep spirits up. So, and, and, you know, people are donating PPE as well. So I think that's great, but yeah, it's good and bad. <laughs> well, 
I will say one for our entire ecosystem and for the world. We are very lucky to have your wife and many of those that are out there fighting this fight. So thank you for that. Um, and if you get a chance to say, you know, obviously I thank her for that and the world thanks her for that. I know it's a huge burden on your shoulders and hers, and we thank you for that. Um, before we get too sentimental and we obviously deviate too far into a global pandemic, I think it's also good for people to also learn just a little bit more about the project that you're working on with Zcoin. And so there are some late developments that have happened. You have a new wallet. Um, there is a protocol, the Lantis protocol and the Elysium tokenization platform. Can you talk us and tell us what's happening there? Sure. Um, I guess the, the biggest one, which is, is Lelantis, which is our new privacy protocol. And Lelantis is actually named after the Titan god of, of moving unseen. So we thought there was quite apt uh, for this particular privacy protocol. And the idea of Lelantis is that, okay, now we allow people to, to burn and redeem just like with our current privacy protocol. But now we allow people to do it in any denomination, that means it can be in any arbitrary amount. That means I can burn 10.32 coins and then maybe redeem 0.2 coins. Previously with our current protocol, you had to burn 10 and redeem 10, which isn't too great. So now this further expands its ability. But what's even more exciting is that right now, you know, if I burn, I can, instead of redeeming for brand new coins, I can pass that right of redemption to someone else. And that is you know, effectively uh, like the most anonymous type of transaction because the, the sender is hidden, the amount is hidden. You don't even know where it's coming from. It's just that you have now the right to redeem this coin at any time in the future. So that's really exciting. And we've already kind of like maybe like 50% done in coding the, the, the whole implementation. And I think maybe we'll launch sometime in, in end of Q2 or maybe uh, beginning of Q3. So that's really exciting for us. And we actually are about to release a new uh, paper that further improves on this, that, that improves the performance uh, of, of Lelantis. So that's kind of Lelantis in a nutshell. Um, and the good thing about it is that we're not the only ones that are, are actually uh, looking at it. I think if you interviewed Beam, Beam actually, you know, uh, took Lelantis and, and now are adapting it for Mimbo Wimba. So they're also using our technology. Even Monero has looked at our technology and also used it as a basis of their new upcoming protocol called Triptych. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But it shows that, you know, I, I guess it's like our work is kind of spur spurring a new wave of innovation of uh, improving on this uh, particular type of zero-knowledge proof. Uh, onto Elysium. Elysium is a way to just basically build tokens on top of Zcoin platform, similar to like an ERC20. But I guess the key difference is that you have all our privacy features. You can, you can burn and redeem on this uh, uh, token that you create. So rather than having something like Aztec protocol and whatnot, you have a token that has privacy right built into the protocol. And this is really some very interesting use cases. Like maybe I want to do a hacker bounty token and I can do it uh, that in an anonymous fashion. Or perhaps I just want to hold an election and, and you know, give these tokens to people so that they can vote anonymously but verifiably. So uh, that's Elysium in a nutshell. And of course, you know, we're of course improving the user experience and that's why we release our new wallet and we're looking at stuff like Instant Sync rather than having to download the entire blockchain as well. So a lot of things that are happening right now. Yeah. Awesome. And so 
one of the things that we like to do uh, is just get a little bit more uh, about you. Uh, there are two things that I usually like asking. If you don't have a good answer for either, that's perfectly fine. But uh, I found that people within digital assets and crypto are very well read, uh, whether it's about cryptography, whether it's about computer science, whether it's about economic theories or other things as it relates to psychology. Anything that you've read recently, um, either a book or an article that you really loved or that you told a lot of friends about or colleagues about, uh, and then any music that you seem to like. Hmm. <laughs> I think I'll, I'll deal with the music one because it's a lot easier uh, first. Uh, and I, I listen to a lot of Japanese Japanese anime music. So like especially from Miyazaki, uh, the work of Joe Hish Hisha Ishii. I don't really know how to pronounce that. But yeah, I really love the, the sort of music. It's been, it's like orchestra. It's, and it's very moving. I don't know how to explain it. You should listen to it. If you listen to like Spirited Away, then then you know what I'm talking about. As to like interesting stuff that I've read, um, I don't know, I've been reading so much that it's all kind of a blur right now. <laughs> but the thing that kind of really, uh, I wouldn't say um, in terms of economics or, or like, like uh, cryptocurrencies, but it was something that was written by a Chinese teacher that I found really uh, inspiring and it was about, you know, as, I mean, it's related to COVID, but it's about, you know, appreciating the lockdown. <laughs> okay. And I, I found it as a very, I don't know how, let me, let me just bring it up. And let me do, it's not very long. So I think uh, it's really good. So I think hey, here we are. So, you know, number one, accept that you have no control over the situation, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and then like, I think, let me just scroll on because I know we are short on time, but I think what it says is that appreciate this enforced downtime, you know, when do you have time like this, you know, you miss it when, when the fast pace of the real world comes back mm -hmm. and take it as a time to connect with people to, that they mean a lot to you. And I've really taken this like time of being alone to connect with friends that I've never talked to in a long time, catch up with them. And I've actually valued that because normally I wouldn't have had time to, to, to actually look at that. And I think one of the also key takeaways was like, you know, when you see this money printer goes brr and yeah, you know, you see Bitcoin price and all these things and you're like, you know, what is the meaning of money? <laughs> and you realize that this, this lockdown period, it really makes you realize, yes, money is important, but so much other things are really important as well, relationships or maybe even like, you know, your relationship with God for, for those that believe or to appreciate the small things like, you know, sunshine through the window, flowers blossoming, or like, you know, just, you know, talking to my family over the phone. These are things that we kind of took for granted. And I find that this current situation is, yeah, it's, it's a, not a great situation, but you can make the best of it. And I found that quite, it quite resonated to me. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. And so last thing, where can people find more about Zcoin and potentially get in touch with you and your colleagues? Right. So we have a website at zcoin.io. We have a Twitter uh, at Zcoin official, and we have a really active Telegram community uh, on Zcoin project. And you just have to go to zcoin.io and all our community links are there. And I'm really active there as well. You can, we have a community meetings every 
month. Uh, so you can join in and, and chat with us directly. Well, this was a great conversation. Thank you, Ruben, for joining us. This was Ruben Yap, a project steward for Zcoin. Uh, really love the insights and hearing how you know privacy in this new world and this new dynamic that we're dealing with affects us all. So thank you, Ruben, for joining us. We'll hopefully have you on in a few months to catch up on all the things that you guys are working on this year. And be well and be safe. Take care, Ruben. Thank you, David. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash base layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on base layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.